for ever, right? And he's, he's at, he was telling me, because I was having this conversation with him. So Brian is uh, Steve and Bernie's business partner at ABC Printing, a, a delightful, God-fearing Christian man. And he says his brother, who's a missionary in Pakistan for, forever, has stopped using the term Christian to describe himself because it's so misaligned, misunderstood, misused, or overused maybe even, that he's just started calling himself a believer. Or maybe, maybe we could just say we're followers of Christ, people of the way. The term Christian was not, wasn't a word that Christians, followers of Jesus said, we're going to call ourselves Christians. It was what others saw, people following Jesus, and they started calling them Christians. They were originally called people of the way of the truth, followers of Christ. And so maybe we need to rethink about even the term Christian when someone asks you, what, what are you, what, what, who are you? Well, I follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> really, that'd be weird, hey? But now there's a conversation that's going to be a bit different. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. 2.38 billion people around the world are followers of Christ in some capacity. And this morning, 2.38 billion people are gathering together in the name of Jesus in different capacities, in different ways. It might not be on a Sunday for fear of persecution or even death. But they're gathering together to honor Christ, to, to live out their faith and remind each other that they're not alone, that there is a story that is overarching and life-changing. And so that's why we gather here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. To celebrate what Christ has done, that I'm, I have a family, that I have brothers and sisters who care about me, who love me. And I don't know if we do that well. That's what we want to grow in. We just want to grow in it. Every time that you and I gather together on the Lord's Day, you are making a declaration. I said this to Jabin as we were driving here today, that our neighbors know that we are followers of Christ, and they see us leave now again <laughs> on Sunday mornings. They know where we're going. No words are spoken. They know that we belong, to, that we believe in Jesus. They see us drive out. They see us come back around noon or a little bit after. And so every time we go, we're, we're telling our neighbors that we belong to something that they don't belong to, but they could that we follow Jesus and that he's worthy of our lives and that he's over our lives and that we live according to his agenda and not our own most of the time. <laughs> and that's the struggle. But by our presence, we are saying, our gathering here, we're saying that we love God. We're saying that we love each other. We're reminded that we've been drawn into God's story of redemption, that we're saved, that we're being saved, that we will be saved. We're being reminded that he started a work in us and it will carry on to completion because he is faithful. That as we gather together as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, well, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So what does it mean to be a Christian? You gather together with God's people. In Acts 20, verse 7, it was quite a, it's quite a funny verse in a way. It says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. That's the story where Eutychus is sitting in the window, and Paul must have been really boring because Eutychus fell asleep, fell out the window, and he died. And they had to go over, and they had to, like, pray over him, and, he, and they brought him back to life. 
But it says, I don't know if you could hear this, on the first day of the week. That's a really profound phrase. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up. So there was a, a tithe, or store it up, as he may, or she may prosper, that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul said, on the first day of the week, when you gather together, you've prospered this week. Can you bring some of that and lay it aside so that when I come, I can use that to meet the needs of other people? It's just what Christians did on the first day of the week. It's been the habit of God's people to, to gather, to be generous, to come together on the first day of the week. Traditionally, do you know what day the Jews gathered on? What? Saturday, right. They, the Sabbath was Saturday. Why do we meet on Sunday mornings? Resurrection, because Jesus rose on what day? Sunday, and that became known as the Lord's Day. Jesus rose from the dead, and Christians started to meet on Sunday, not Saturday. So that's, there was a distinction there between the Jewish faith and Christianity. And that has been going on for millennia, 2,000 years. Christians have been gathering together on the Lord's Day to be reminded that they are part of the new covenant that's been sealed in the blood of Christ through His resurrection on the cross. It was a celebration of hope. It was a celebration, a reminder that the curse of death and punishment has been removed, that you are no longer under condemnation. You are free. It was a celebration that they'd been reconciled to God, saved, restored, redeemed, freed, declared forever righteous in the sight of a holy God, that you right now, because Christ has torn down the dividing wall of hostility by His flesh, He's given you access right into the presence of God the Father. You can pray and know that your Father hears you without fear. You can go boldly into His presence to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. We gather together to be reminded that suffering has meaning. And Jesus was the proof of that on the cross. That it's not empty or shallow. It has meaning. Because suffering will not take us. We will be restored. It's a reminder today that there is healing. It's a reminder today that by the Spirit of Christ in us that the church will always burn bright. We are a city on a hill, a light, salt in a decaying world. We're, we're here to, to remind each other that rest is found in God, not in the things of the world. We're gathered here today as saints under one Father and Lord of all and have been called into something that's greater than ourselves, than what anything else can offer us. Simply gathering together as God's people is a witness to the greatness of Christ. Today is the Lord's day. You are His, and you're His forever. And so that's why this verse, there's no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If we were just to go around the room and talk about our histories, there's different ethnicities represented here. There's different jobs and the way you earn a living. Think about Jesus. He drew together prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors, fishermen. Luke was a doctor. Paul was a Pharisee. And God in His grace gave them the gift of repentance and faith. And they were following Jesus. That's who we are. 
What binds us together is the blood of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ. People that you wouldn't normally rub shoulders with or connect with, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've been called by God to lay down our lives for the brother as he's done for us, to selflessly love, to sacrifice for each other, to give ourselves in service to one another as Christ has done and is doing for you and I right now as he lives to make intercession. And so our gathering this morning here, I don't know if, I, if, if you and I spend enough time, it's, there's a deep, rich history in the lives of God's people, of those who've gone before us, starting with Christ himself, where he would every day, you would find him in the synagogue. But now this is the Lord's day. We come to remind each other of what God has done, specifically what he's done for us in the person and the work of Christ. And one of the things that he's done is he's made you brothers and sisters. He's made you and I a family. And then he's asked us to live in response to that new identity. And it's a process. And that's the reminder. And that's why we gather corporately together as God's called out, chosen, beloved people. Do we do it perfectly? No. But we are a city within a city. We're a light on a hill. We're salt in a world that's decaying. And so that's why we gather. And so Paul is writing to a group of people who are gathering together, and it's all through the Bible. If you read, whether it's Galatea, whether it's Ephesus, whether it's Philippi, whether it's Colossae or Corinth, if you think about, Paul didn't just write a letter to the Comox Valley. He wrote a letter to the individual churches of the Comox Valley, so to speak, to, to people whose lives were intertwined and interconnected, to those who gathered together, who knew each other, who, who had some idea what was going on in each other's lives, and he's asking them to, to love each other, to show patience, to be kind, to be gracious and compassionate. <laughs> well, those things require interaction because you don't really need to be patient with someone that you don't spend time with, do you? I learned that when I had kids. I thought I was patient, patient until I had kids, and all that went out the window, right? And you can just ask my kids. I'm, like, so impatient. See, Jabin's <laughs> nodding his head, right? Or I'm easily angered. That just gets exposed when you live as family and you're so close because we don't rub each other always in a good way. But that's family. That's what it is. And that's why family requires things like confession and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Those things have to flow by the power of the Spirit. Our natural, that's what Paul's been talking about in Colossians. We have these natural reactions, but he's calling us to live supernaturally. Because when you actually live your lives in proximity to one another, it's not going to go smoothly. It, it just isn't. And as families here, you all know that. But that's what the beauty of the Christian faith is, is we have the Spirit of Christ to help us navigate that, not in a way just to survive, but in a way to declare the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. Because the power that raised Christ from the dead is alive where? In you and me. And so that's the reminder that I have for you today. How do you know how to bear one another's burdens if you don't know what those burdens are? How do you know how to comfort someone if you don't even know they're hurting? How do you know how to encourage someone other in that specific way or, or to help the idol to get engaged if you don't have a relationship? And I, I've become convinced that the more that we fall into individualism, the less we're transformed and the more that we can just live lives that are worldly. 
And it's hard to live lives together because it requires time and sacrifice. And so that's my reminder for you today, that you would seek by the power of God to ask yourself some questions of what it means to be a Christian. Would you open up your homes and your hearts to each other? Would you begin to watch over one another? Next week, I'm going to share just how difficult it is to be a shepherd and a sheep at the same time. It's always been God's way that we would be family, that we would be brothers and sisters. Can you think of some of the imageries in the New Testament that describe our togetherness? So there's, there's family. Can you guys think of another illustration? The body. What else? What's that? The flock. Yep. Can you think about anything else? A house. Yep. Yeah, we are God's house, yet yeah, Hebrews 3 or 4. The bride of Christ. Vine and branches, John 15. 1 Peter chapter 2 has another imagery. The temple. We are living stones in a temple. Just consider with me all these examples that God has given you and I in Scripture. Think about the temple. It's made of your living stones being built together. The mortar that holds us together is the gospel. The cornerstone is Christ. And a temple wouldn't be very effective if there was a bunch of missing blocks, would it? Right? Or what about a family? Think about those in your lives who have lost someone in their family, and they're sitting down at the table, and there's the empty chair. It's gut-wrenching, isn't it? Because your family's not there. It's not complete. Or what about, what about the body? I was, Paul says, when each part works properly, it builds itself up in love. It grows up into maturity in Christ. What if I didn't have an arm? How do you think the guitar would have sound this morning? Right? Have you ever tried to run with a broken big toe? Have you ever tried to, like, poke something with a finger with an eye patch on one eye? It just doesn't work right. These are powerful images, aren't they? They're, they're, they're revealing to us what the body of Christ is meant to be, or what family is, what it means to be brothers and sisters, and... Every one of these illustrations, they crush this cultural understanding or pursuit of individualism, consumerism, and selfishness because they're meant to. They're meant to do that because they're of the Spirit. Now, there's no big ideas here for you today. You all know this. It's just a reminder that you are a miraculous, mysterious gift that God has given to each other. And without you, Things don't work properly. Without you, the body isn't whole. The family isn't complete. There's a seat left empty at the table. And that's just a simple thing that he's called us. We have this identity, and the identity that Christ has given us, that we're brothers and sisters and family. And by faith, we have to embrace that identity. And, and, and I think that's really difficult today in our culture. I think we're really wrestling with that. Not that we don't care and that we don't love each other. I'm not saying that. But I think we're wrestling with it. 
And again, it comes to the word inertia. We've gotten really comfortable, at least our family has, just kind of doing our own thing. And so my question is, what does it mean to be a Christian and to be a brother and sister, to be living the family of God? And so that's what we want to do this summer. That's why we want you to bring a lunch. That's why we want you to spend time hanging out and bring a football or a soccer ball or to play and to have conversations with people that you wouldn't normally have conversations with because we want to grow as family. Now, I want to just give a quick word to families. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad. I kind of understand this a little bit. So, and I'm going to ask the kids if you would just, if you would just let me speak to your mom and dad for a minute because I want to encourage them. There are many Sundays where our family's getting ready to go out the door, and it's not a smooth transition. It seems like Saturday night is the night when things seem to come up and I don't get a good sleep or whatever. Just things seem to happen. You arrive frustrated, maybe. Maybe it's been hard to get out the door. Maybe you had a fight Saturday night with your spouse and you're just off. Maybe it's been a few weeks. There's discord in your family. You're tired from a sleepless night. You're distracted and you're thinking about going to church. I'm not going to get anything out of I'm not going to hear anything that's said anyway, so like why bother? Let me encourage you. Just your presence here in front of your kids is telling them an amazing story. It's just telling them a story. A story that you belong to something that's greater than yourself. And so being here is an act of faith in itself. Taking God's word as God's word that you're a temple. Fine branches, body. Sometimes you want to overcomplicate things. But I want you to know that there is a place right here where you are unconditionally loved. This isn't for perfect parents. If you're for perfect parents, I'd ask you to leave now. This isn't for perfect kids. Our kids are going to do things at times. I remember years ago... Jabin had Isaiah in a headlock asking him to tap out because one of my guilty pleasures is the UFC. Yeah, judge me if you want. And Lisa's yelling at Jabin. She's horrified. And, and there's, I have to admit, there's this like, man, what are people going to think about me? But you need to know that God loves me. and It doesn't matter what you think about me because that's, that's our identity. It's in Christ. And we're to remind each other of that. Things aren't going to go smoothly. They're not going to go smoothly as a church family. That's a myth. Because we're all sinners and we can't have an expectation of perfection amongst sinful people. But we have a way to navigate that and it's called grace. It's mercy. It's love. It's compassion. It's, it's patience. And sometimes we're extending and sometimes we're receiving. And that dance, that confession, that life that we live together is a declaration that we belong to Christ. And that's my hope. Kids, it's okay if you're not perfect here. We love you unconditionally. I said to someone the other day, I don't want Jabin just to have my faith and believe what I believe. I want him to have an encounter with Christ himself. And that's my prayer for all of our children, that God would move with power and he would draw them to their heart. That he would see that, that they would see that there's a family, there's a pace to belong. Yes, it's not perfect. So my question is really simple. Where are you at in your faith family and what it means to you? Do you value it? Do you treasure it? Do you think there's some steps of faith that you need to take 
to live out that blood-bought identity. It's not, life isn't perfect. <laughs> but but th- that's what I mean. Like asking myself, Don, are you a Christian? Are there things that I need to repent of because I'm not embracing what God has for me? That repentance is a beautiful gift. That's what he's given us, his spirit. Well, what's God calling you to do a part of a faith family? Maybe this isn't your faith family. Maybe it is. You know, for, for those of you who don't know, Steph is going to connect out in Black Creek. So we've lost an amazing gift to us, haven't we? You have no idea the waters that Lisa and I have walked with her and how she's been a blessing to you through the years standing up here when life was so difficult. And so if you think of her, send her a note, send her an email, encourage her. Because her and Tim are pursuing what God has for them. But that means there's opportunities here to serve. I'm praying that someone would come and help us in that capacity. Lisa and I have committed this year that we're going to do a study on marriage. So if you want to join us in that, that would be great. I don't really know what it's going to look at. It's going to be a book by Paul Tripp. We won't do the whole book because it's too big. (laughs) We'd be there for years. But there's some amazing things that I'm learning in it that are helping me to think through not only marriage, but just my relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. So where are you at? Where are you serving? That's the heart of Christianity. It's not coming here to get. It's coming here to give. It's coming here to care for one another. And I've noticed through the years that every time that I get on my little high horse and I'm going to go minister to someone because they're hurting, do you know who goes away blessed? Not me. Me, right? That happened to me when I went and visited the Bosmas this year as they were dealing with something. And I just saw faith that could only come from God. And you guys encouraged me. And there's many stories like that. And that's where we come alive. We're reminded that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So what does it look like for you? What does it mean when you come and you sing these songs of truth to one another? You're declaring the greatness of who Christ is. And so we gather not so much to get, we gather to give, to point each other to the one and only Savior. That's why we've gathered here today, and we serve one another. So moving forward, my sermons are not going to be long like they used to be when we gathered. Sorry, Teresa. I want to create a space where, where we can ask questions. Hey, I didn't understand what you meant by that. Feel free to ask. It terrifies me, by the way, because it's easier just to, for me to do everything and be in control, than it, right? But that's not healthy for me. That we'd be reading the scripture together and you guys could come and have a word for somebody like I mentioned earlier. And so those are the things that we want to grow in. We want to grow as a family. So we're going to sing a song and then, then it give you opportunity. Here's some questions. Maybe you, you want to respond to them or not. That's fine. It's something that we'll grow into. Are there any, are there any questions that you have this morning you could ask? Or are there, is there something that I missed that maybe would be appropriate to share because I, didn't, I missed something that maybe has been impactful to you? How has community impacted you in the past? 
Are you struggling this morning with a sickness that you would like prayer for? How has God challenged you this past year? What has He taught you that could be an encouragement to the rest of us? We're going to sing a song, and then you can respond. Maybe it's just a scripture verse that's been meaningful to this year. And I know this is going to be hard for us to switch gears in, because it's not what we've ever done. We kind of just me speaking and and a few people, but we want to we want to grow together as a family. And uh, so let's sing "No One Higher." Let's see if I can if this is going to work again.